0: Right. Jen, you pissed a lot of people off on Twitter not long ago. What a
1: shock. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I <laughs> you're like fight who do I fight? Who do I fight? <laughs> Fossils are boring. <laughs> Sorry everybody. So, Sarah,
0: (laughs) let me talk about my Twitter thread that pissed people off. Yeah, why don't you why don't you bring everyone up to speed? I just before we start, I want everyone to know I did nothing. I had nothing to do with that. You didn't. It's true. It happened while I was writing. (laughs) The internet was turned off. (laughs) Oh God! You
1: know. So, I wrote a thread on Twitter about how Twitter. I know. I thought it made sense at the time, but people were mad and accused me of not being a feminist. And it was oh, <laughs> fine.
0: Um, I mean...
1: Sure. So
0: <laughs> what I said was... "It's This is where we are, 2019. Yeah. That I... You know what? Wait. Before
1: we begin, welcome to Faded Mates, everyone. Oh, yeah. Welcome. I am Jen, a non-lover of fossils pro-cop. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And I'm Sarah McLean and I don't read spy books. See? So There you go. Here we go. <laughs> there you go. Welcome to Fated Mates. This week we'll be talking about confidence. If this is your first
1: episode <laughs> of Fated Mates, you'll <laughs> be like, what the hell are these two talking about? Yep, and about fossils. <laughs> I'm out. Um <laughs> Stick around. This week, we'll be talking about competence porn. And when when we like my favorite, it actually is my favorite, too. When we like reading about people's jobs and what jobs work in romance and which jobs don't and how jobs play out in our relationships and characters relationships with their work and each other. It's going to be a lot. And
0: may I add what we mean when we say competence porn? Yeah. Because I think sometimes that gets all conflated up in here. Yeah. And people think that what we mean is we want to see people doing paperwork. (laughs) I don't ever want to see people doing paperwork. We legitimately do not want that.
1: (laughs) So (laughs) let me start off with my thread. And I'm just going to talk about what was in it, which is like, I can get overwhelmed as a romance reader by details about people's work in romance. And I think it plays out in a couple of different ways. Um, one is, um, you know, if they're like, s- if if it's so detailed that I'm like bogged down in information, I don't really care about like about fossils, which have never really been interesting to me personally. Is like that was my example. No offense to fossils. Uh, well, they've been around for a long time and will outlive me for a long time, so they don't give a shit about
0: my opinion yeah, anyway. so <laughs> They're like, now you're dead.
1: We win. um. <laughs> think part of it was driven by, you know, I also have read books where I feel like the when the job details are wrong, I get distracted. Right now I'm like busy thinking about this job. Like, you know, I read a book once where it was set in San Diego and these ex Navy SEALs were trying to open a restaurant, a Mexican restaurant, and they hired like a white woman to be the chef. Sure, and I was that all makes sense <laughs> that checks out <laughs> and i just was like what the fuck like i was so offended by like the very premise that this white lady was going to be the one to save this mexican restaurant in san diego i just was run by navy seals yeah right sure and i so i feel like that's the other thing that happens and so work so there to me there's like this um i don't know like there's a a cone in which, like, there's enough work details that I, like, kind of see who they are as a person and their relationship with their work, but not so many that I, the reader, get bogged down in it. And all I was saying mm-hmm. in my thread was, like, I, that's what I want. I want to be in that cone of believability where I'm learning about the character as a person, but not the work itself.
0: Yes. So should we just be done with this episode? I right don't now? know. I mean, I guess. No, yeah. I mean, so here's the thing that I think really gets people head up and I um and I get it, but you know, let's all take a breath. Um I think that we run up against so often in romance this question of like Well, the romance, like, we want our heroines and our heroes, but less our heroes, let's be honest. We want our heroines to be these sort of fully formed figures where we, like, can see ourselves in them and we can see our, like, our own identities and our own foibles and our own interests and our own, you know, skills. And we want to see them as, like, these badass, like, competent, skilled women who, like, then bring down the hero or, like, go head to head with the hero. Um, And in many cases, what that means is, like, look, we live in a world uh, where many, many, many women work. Yeah. All of that to say, like, we want all that in theory. But then, like, in practice, that is a challenging thing to do with work because, At the same time, we really there's nothing interesting about watching someone like clean someone's teeth, (laughs) or like (laughs) that was the that's a weird like dental hygienist is the first thing that came into my mind, but like clean someone's teeth or like operate on an animal, right? And part of that reason, and so so, and I think we sometimes get to this place in romance, and I, I think some of the arguments, some of the. The frustration with your argument on Twitter was, well, heroines should be able to have jobs, and like we should care about what heroines' jobs are because we don't care like nobody a- like nobody ever like cares about a hero's job yeah and I always bring this is where I come in with um Christian gray. <laughs> President and CEO of Gray Enterprise Holdings Limited, which, <laughs> like, frankly, uh, no one knows what Gray Enterprise Holdings Limited does. Right. He has a really nice, like, penthouse corner office, and all I can sort of the what I understand, like, what I what I surmise this company does is buy companies that. Uh, employ women Christian Grey wants to fuck. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it seems to be. Yeah, well, sure. And also, like, he's a billionaire, so he gives a lot of money in charity.
1: You know, the thing. Sometimes we go to a gala. Yeah, the thing I, like, talk about a lot, or I, I talked about, especially with Christian Grey, is, you know, Christian Grey was, like, this billionaire, and he, like, a lot of billionaires came after him. Christian yeah, Grey was really interested in BDSM yes. and a lot of BDSM came after him. But Christian Grey was not actually a businessman because there are no fucking books after him where people like do a lot of work.
0: That was not a well-developed no. part of his story no. at all. And right? here's the thing is like there's a balance because while on the one hand we don't want to see someone cleaning people's teeth for 300 pages of a novel – we also, like, I wouldn't have hated knowing a little more about Great yeah. Enterprise Holdings oh, Limited. <laughs> sure. I mean. There is a balance. And also, if you're going to put somebody on the page and say they are exceedingly skilled. I mean, he was, what, like, 14 years old. No. And, <laughs> and so <laughs> he was real young. He was, like, 27 or something. Or something yeah. And, like, a billionaire. Yeah. Like, I would like to know, what did he do? Well. So well, like there's, Sarah. This Lauren, there's this Lauren Blakely book that I actually really love called, um, Oh, bother. <laughs> <laughs> it will come as sure. no surprise. We can't write the title know. of this book. No, um, I'm going to look it up, but there's a Lauren Blakely book where the hero is a billionaire, obviously. Sure. And he owns a sex toy company. Sure. Great. And I'm like, okay. And he, and over the course of the book, he uses a number of his prototypes on the heroin. And so you're like, all right, yep. this all fits Just together. Like, this,
2: this
0: feels, mm. I mean, billionaire doesn't really work for me in that scenario. I imagine that the people who run sex toy companies in the world are would laugh heartily. Oh, I would imagine you. <laughs> I was like, so billionaires in the mix no but this particular guy i don't know he's really good i don't know the sex toys are excellent (laughs) and but the reality is like at one point they're on the roof of his manhattan office building and like there's the skyline in front of them and he gets her off using this like new sex toy that's remarkable (laughs) and simulates the human tongue and it's great, and I'm like, I believe all of this. I also have a keen understanding of why this man is an billionaire. But I don't need more than that. Yeah, like, right. Sure. I don't want him like in scrubs, like wearing one of those hazmat suits, like trying out different kinds of like neoprene on or whatever the floor of the warehouse. Don't care. Yeah. Don't want to see it. <laughs> I think that this is
1: part of the, like, the double standard, too, and I know that you've come across this in your reviews of your books, is that, um, and I also know that it is absolutely true for people of, women of color, authors of color who write characters, Black characters especially who have jobs, that the complaint is always, like, I didn't really, you know, from reviewers, this, like, sort of low-key racism and sexism at play. Like, I didn't really understand what their job was. They weren't doing it enough. But no one ever says that about Christian Grey, right? And so the no. double standard of women and people of color in romance have to prove that they can really do these jobs to re- to white readers, Or also to other women, which, you know, as it went in a way that men don't ever have to. And so I think part of my frustration, too, with like my fossil um, analogy was sometimes I feel like and I I can't speak to this. I don't know because it's not really any specific book. It's like a general observation. Do romance authors feel like they have to prove to readers that they're heroines are really really working
2: i
0: think we have to prove to readers that our heroines are really com- like competent good at their jobs yeah i mean unless the whole story revolves around a heroine not being good at her job what book is that i don't know like i feel like there are lots of like contemporary like rom-commy books mm. where like the heroine gets fired because she did something stupid oh i see yeah sure you know what mm-hmm. i mean yeah um, or, yeah, it's, like, the waitress who, like, can't keep her tray straight right. and, like, oops, she spilled all over a customer for the third time. Right. And, the, you know, the she gets finger-wagged by the sure. cook and then she's out on her ass and, like, oh, look, here comes a billionaire sex toy mogul. <laughs> you know? That's not the premise of this. <laughs> Oh, by the way, here it is. Lauren Blakely, the book is called Nights with Him. We'll put it in show
2: notes.
1: One of the reasons I really loved Alyssa Cole's A Princess in Theory is that mm. um Letty's like got a side gig as a is that her character's god of course I can't remember her names. Anyway, she is uh, like has a side gig as in catering. And mm-hmm. the the prince, essentially, to kind of like pretends to be a waiter to like sort of be with her and he's terrible at it and she has to essentially fire him and i yeah. love that soul like sort of like you know being a waiter is actually pretty hard work thank you very much and not something anyone can just do for the lulls and be great at it in five seconds yes and it was Agreed. an amazing scene Agreed. Maybe you should describe or define competence porn for us right now. Maybe that's something that should happen.
0: Well, yeah. So here's the thing. So and I think there's there is a balance here because not all books where people have jobs and the jobs are handled well are also competence. porn. Agreed. Right. So and I was thinking, like, I just want to point out another thing, like speaking to this, like, how do you put a job on the into the page or into the story with a light touch and center it and still make it really relevant without actually like making any of the book about the job. Yeah. And one of the books that does this I think really, really well is Sally Thorne's The Hating Game. Mm -hmm. Right? Where the entire story is rivals to lovers. Yeah. Which is one of, you know, it's a, it's like a kind of sub-genre of enemies to lovers. Mm And the two characters work, like, near or with each other. Yeah. um, And they are thrown into competition with each other. And it's never... This only works if both characters are skilled. Right. Like, they both have to be able to rate in the job. Yeah. So in uh, Sally's... Almost always the plot of this book ends... uh, it's, It's a... Ticking a uh, ticking clock toward a promotion or an inheritance of some kind or like some kind of something where they're competing for a business. Yeah. um, And that's what's happening in The Hating Game. It's part it's deftly done by Sally. And then it and it sort of imbues the entire book with this business. I mean, like. 90% of the book is written inside yeah. the company. The other 10%, of the other 10%, probably like half of it is written at like a company, like mandatory fund. Yeah, eventually. Right. Or whatever. And that's that. But it never feels like you're being bonked over the head with fossils. Right, right. Or spies. Anyway, so when we talk about competence porn, though, I think what we're talking about is this idea that, like, there is a job to be done and the hero or and one of the two characters or, you know, multiple characters who are in the romance novel are like incredibly qualified and skilled at this job. And the job is Maybe a, it should be a part of the plot in some way, but invariably this is just about, like, at any point, if something needs to get done, this character is just going to be able to do it, and it's not going to escalate conflict, right? It's not going to be, right. Um, you know, she's really excellent, like, she's, like, at no point is it going to be mediocre work, And so you can just sort of sit back in this idea that, like, this person is incredibly skilled. So, you know, I think about this one. Like, we see this a lot in historicals. Lisa Kleypas does this really well with, like, her industrial billionaires. Like, they're all just, like, extremely good at their jobs. Um, Like, I think Hattie is extremely good at her job. Um, And, and. We see it on the page in, I think, two scenes, but, like, it's not required everywhere. It's just, like, somebody who is not just exceedingly good at their job, but, like, has no level of imposter syndrome. Right. Knows they are good at their job. I
1: think one of the things I've been thinking a lot about, and I'm glad you brought up historicals, is... I feel like there's been I you know I reading the Ritas one of the like themes I noticed in the historicals was that there seemed to be a real jump from these are people with jobs to what I would instead call these are people with careers. And I know that seems like maybe a pretty fine line, but, you know, to me, a job is like, okay, you need to get a paycheck and you're doing this thing. It doesn't necessarily feel like, to use an old-fashioned word, like a vocation. It doesn't really feel like something that, like, feeds your soul along with your pocketbook. And Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that I've really seen happening is that that is – Changing, and we're getting more and more characters in historicals, not just heroines, her- heroes too, who really are approaching their work as, you know, and, you know, there's nothing to say there's anything wrong with being a nurse or a governess in a historical, but these are characters who really are like, no, my work is important to me as a person. And therefore, this is a career. This is something that is going to mean something to me and how I move throughout the world. Yes. And, you know, that certainly was the case with Hattie, but it was a case with Joanna Shoup's novel. Um, That whole series about um, the one with the woman who's an architect. I think Mm -hmm. that one's called A Daring Arrangement.
0: Yep. Um, These are women who are, and characters who really find meaning in their work. Right, there's my Rodel just did a dressmaker series. Yeah,
1: um, Ava Lee, I think, has series yeah. that are about women who are journalists and actresses and right, like, and it really mm-hmm. feels like there is um, a real sense in historicals of moving away towards like, I just have to have this job to get me into the Duke's house. Yeah, right. To I have a job that is important to me as a person. And I need to make that happen to, like, live my life with dignity and worth.
0: Yeah. So here's my thing about that. I think that that is a product of – I mean, like, look, historicals – I mean, I I do think it's ironic that you said fossils, right? Because historicals notoriously are – it's kind of, It's like a thing in historicals that heroines are interested in, our, in fossils, right? Um, you know, some of I the, picked it for a reason, Some <laughs> of the best— I know, I know. But some of the, like, biggest historical writers have written Fossil Hunters. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking about, like, Amanda Quick, Tessa Dare— Um, I want to say there's a there's an Elisa James heroine who was into fossils. And it's really interesting because it is of a time. Right. It sort of harkens to what women like women, special, interesting women in the region. The blue stockings. Right. The blue stocking was into fossils. So I don't I think historical has always played with this idea of like a heroine who has, for lack of a better word, purpose Mm -hmm. beyond the home family right. dressmaking right needlepoint um and i think for many many years in historicals that has been code like the fossil right or whatever has been code for not like other girls right um not like and i mean look we're all responsible I mean, we've all been writing – if you've been writing longer than a decade in this business, you've definitely written Not Like Other Girls at some point. Sure. And, like, I'm happy to see that that's something that we're all thinking very carefully about before we put it on the page. Yeah. Um, but that was – I mean, that's a real thing from the past, right? That said, I think that um, – that was always used as like code in, that was a code in romance to romance Mm -hmm. readers, especially in historicals. Was it a code for, like it was a code for the blue stocking. Yes. But the blue stocking, we've never done an interstitial on blue stockings and we should, um, because the blue stocking is in herself a code. Yeah. Right. For, um, Hey, romance reader who thinks, you know, these are heroines who are smart like you. Yeah. Right. um, Interestingly, in contemporary, we don't see the blue stocking as much. Um, and when she's on the page, like, I can only think of one real blue stocking, um, and that's Susan Elizabeth Phillips' Nobody's Baby But Mine, right? Like, hmm. in, And sh- is she really a blue stocking is the question, right? Because she's a nuclear physicist, <laughs> yeah, right? She's like I mean, Doogie Hauser nuclear physicist.
1: Like, academics, I mean, I feel like... That's, like, an interesting, you know, like, does a blue stocking
0: exist? Holly in, you know, that one IAD book is, a, like, a math professor. Yeah, like, is the math, is the professor a blue stocking now? I don't, I don't know, know this either. Is a that's quest, interesting. I want to do, can we, like, put a pin in all this and do a blue stocking Yeah, that's episode? a really good point. Yeah, because
1: it just seems kind of different. Well, because, yeah, yes. The answer is yes. We're gonna.
0: Um. Hold. So you guys, sorry if you enjoyed that. Come back <laughs> at some point. No, uh, sometime. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, because I do think like we need to set the blue stocking aside, and I don't think like fossil hunter. Yeah. Is a job in historical. No fossil hunter. Also, because it doesn't. Um. You know, Tessa Dare wrote a book. About a girl who sold the time. Mm. Did you read that one? I don't know.
1: (laughs) Okay. I mean, I'm I'm, going to be really honest with you. I'm like, I would have to, uh, probably.
0: Yeah. And that was her, that was her job. Like she, and this was a real thing that like Tessa had, had uh, consider, had like discovered that you could go to, like, there were people who would go to Greenwich in England Mm -hmm. and they would essentially like set their watch or their clock to. Right. Greenwich time and then come back to London, and they would literally be paid by each household to go to the house with their watch, right? And the essentially make sure that the clocks were all set correctly. Um, and that's an interesting job to me, yeah, not just because I think it's an interesting job, period, but like it's a metaphor right. for, of course. like, time is a metaphor, clocks are a metaphor, right. watches are a metaphor. Of course. Like, what do they mean? Um, and so in that case, you're also talking about, like, that's not competence porn either. That's a person with an interesting job. That Tessa Dare book is called The Governess Game. Oh, I it's read that for sure. one of her more recent ones. Yeah, yeah, for sure.
1: I want to stop and talk about, like, why I wrote that thread for maybe for a second, too, which is, I like, you know, people talk about like a midlife crisis. Maybe I had one, but I really love my job and my work, but also felt like it was like really consuming me in a way that like wasn't healthy. And I specifically Mm. like tried to pull back and like find other things to do that were about me as a person, not me as a worker. And I was really like, I have a friend who's from Chile, like one of my co- a colleague actually, and he talks about how weird it is when he goes to parties, and the first thing Americans ask is like, "What do you do?" Because yep. he's like, in other places, people say like, "What do you are What are you interested in?" Right? Yeah. And I really like took that to heart, and have tried very hard to make my life less about what I do and more about what I'm interested in. And so I think like when I wrote that thread and that's like the irony of like being told I wasn't a feminist is that it's been like a
0: work in my life to like be who I am outside of my like job. Yeah. I mean, it is. That's really interesting that that story is really interesting. I have I married I'm married to a Californian. Mm -hmm. Um, I grew up in New England, the child of Europeans. But uh, but like Northern, yeah. like my mom's English and my dad's Italian um. and work. And I grew up in New England and now I live in New York City and work is... You know, a seminal yeah. part of all of our like it's always been like, what's your job? What do you do? Like, how are you going to do your job better? Yeah. You don't take sick days. Like, I mean, it's a very sort of rigid, um, you know, very uh, like puritanical way mm-hmm. of thinking about work. Yeah. In uh, And I think what your friend from Chile said is true. Like, it is cultural yeah. um, in many ways, <clears throat> because when I married my husband, and was sort of going through the kind of growing pains that you have when you marry somebody and you have to like learn their family and their family dynamics. Mm-hmm. And I had like a lot of struggle with like, you know, how, what did I talk to his family about? They didn't seem to be interested in what I did. Yeah. Like they didn't they didn't want to know about my job. Um, and I remember sitting with somebody and and them saying, you know, I had the same problem when I married my husband a Californian, mm-hmm. and we had the benefit of living in California. Yeah. And here's the thing. Um, New Yorkers say, "What do you do at a cocktail party?" Californians say, "What do you like to do?" Yeah. and that did just like your friend unlocked you. It unlocked me in some way to sort of be able to access my oh yeah my husband's life, right? And my and more importantly, my in laws. Um, but that said, like so, maybe there is this kind of cultural thing. But at the same time, we live in America in 2019, and work is oh yeah everything now. Because we're all having to, we all feel this pressure of like we have to work harder. We have to make money. We yeah. have to live. We have to pay for health insurance. We, I mean, like yeah. there's a big political conversation to be had here, which is, of course, work is important because we're not being given the permission to have the like basic civil human rights that we all deserve. With
1: Well, and I think the other thing is, you know, a recent Supreme Court case is can people just fire you if you're gay, if you're queer, Right. Like, I yeah. mean, this the right to work feels really precarious, I think, for a lot of marginalized people. Yeah. And and
0: like a, a, a dollar go like Americans. I was just reading this article that was saying, like, Americans basically haven't gotten a raise yeah. in 40 years. Like we cost of living increases have got like obviously we are making by the numbers more money. Right. But like if you factor in inflation, like we're making. Yeah the same. Or you read all these articles about, you know, people who,
1: you know, it's just like the struggle to keep up and keep a middle class lifestyle. And so the fact that so many of us are consumed with worries about money and our future and financial security and stability and, you know, what jobs will there even be for our kids? I mean, I think that all of this is really consuming at a very personal level. And at the same time, when and it, But so maybe that's why I don't want to read about it in romance, because how do you capture that and still have
0: it be a romance? Well, right. Yeah. <laughs> and I think on top of all that, so that's like layer one, layer, you know, the next layer up is I... We ha- we all have enough sent- – there is so much discussion in the world about, like, imposter syndrome and, mm-hmm. like, who is uh, – and being good at the work that you do. Like, are you skilled at the work you do? Like, do you want to wa- – I'm not sure, like, I want to see – if I do have to see somebody doing work on the page, I want them to be great at yeah. it right like because i don't want to have to worry that they're going to lose their job right <laughs> right i'm yeah. worried enough about like my own job absolutely please everyone buy my books <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah please everyone don't find out where i work no i'm kidding um i no i mean i think i think that's i think that's part of it
0: right so this work in romance is really interesting which is why i wanted to, can i talk about adriana's book yes now? so You all know we love Adriana Herrera. She's coming on again to talk about power um, in a few weeks which is going to be really great so stay tuned for that um adriana is writing the american Dreamer series right now or just about to finish october 29th um is the release date for american love love story which is the next book out and actually i don't have a calendar in front of me but i feel like this episode might be that week's episode yeah i think in which case happy release day (laughs) adriana um in this, so this series has been it's um a mail mail series this is the third book in the series um we had her on to talk about the first which was American dreamer and about a librarian who was lovely and a, food, and a truck, food truck right. chef i mean my full jam um and now uh she's sort of wrapping it up with this book which is about um a pat- A professor and a Black Lives Matter activist, uh, Patrice, and the assistant district attorney who is running for district attorney, um, Easton, right? So um, this – look, Adriana (sighs) – she does. She we talk so much about this season. We're talking so much about the books that blood us and the books that teach us, like and the way that we're articulating that is by saying the books that have taught us what romance can. be. Yeah. And um, Adriana is a writer who right now is teaching me every time she writes a book what romance can be. Um, how the genre can be sort of playing at the edges of what we think of as the genre right now and, like, broadening those horizons in really interesting Mm -hmm. ways. And I think that what she's doing in American Love Story is she's putting two people on the page who are deeply, deeply good at their jobs in a formal sense. Like, Easton is a, like, golden boy who is really good (laughs) at being a district attorney, right? Um And and Patrice is an activist and a professor and a like and uh, and brilliant in many, many ways and very good at the things that he is that he must do in order to be both of those things. But they have boxed themselves into these roles and their work as. Uh, over the course of this book is to under, because you can imagine the conflict is there already, right? Like you yeah. have somebody who's working within the institution that is harming. Yeah. The pe- the very people who the other person is yeah. working so hard to advocate for and to, you know, help. If I could, like, pause for a second or, and say it, yes. it feels so real to me because we
1: just elected a new mayor in Chicago. And Lori Lightfoot is she, um like, a, the Black Lives Matter, like – groups in Chicago really questioned her because she has, like, a kind of a pro-police stance. And it was, like, yep. really, I think, you know, a lot of people are just like, oh, black people are a monolith. And, like, no, not at all. Right? So dumb. And it was just really right. fascinating to see how, you know, like, her stance of, like, why she was, like, you know, uh, Lori's, you know, brother, I think, died. And she really wanted to, like, work on behalf of, like, what happened. I mean, it's just, like, really played out in an interesting way. Sure. And I think it just shows how complicated these this is and so when I hear this plot in Adriana's book I'm like we saw this playing out in real time in in the last election in Chicago I mean that's yes how do you support someone who you think is going to hurt your people so absolutely
0: there's that level right the level of uh, a fear of interest beyond the personal like I don't know if that's mm-hmm. the right way to articulate it, but this sense of can we ever truly trust each other to be, yeah. you know, on each other's side? And I want to say it's very clear from the start that both Easton and Patrice are on the same side of the political spectrum, right? Like we're right. This is not a Republican and a Democrat like, you know, falling in love. I don't imagine Adriana would ever. Adriana Herrera would never. (laughs) So, but the other thing that's really interesting here is it mines in Easton's point of view. So Easton is the one who is running for district attorney. He wants to be, he decides he's going to be candidate for district attorney. Um, And he's aware of this fact that like as a politician, he needs to ride a line. Yeah, He can't be a full-on activist because he is afraid that he will lose votes if he yeah. is too strident for less lack of a better word, right? Yeah. And I'm not going to spoil the end because but there it is really interesting because Adriana sort of writes this conflict in this ever building like on the one hand it's super sexy and these two totally are into each other. And on the other hand you just end up with this there are several moments where you think to yourself, like, there's just no way yeah. this sorts itself out. The differences are too vast. Like, even if he is, like, a progressive Democrat and he becomes district attorney, like, the reality is there's so much institutional racism yeah, um, and inequality in this community and in the world. There's just no way this, yeah. you know, activist and he can ever end up together. But it is a rom- it is a romance novel. There's an H.E.A. and it works out beautifully. But I guess what I'm getting at knowing that this this episode is about jobs and romance uh, and competence. Right. There's something very interesting that's going on here in the way that Adriana sets job on the page and then requires that job to do heavy lifting from both perspectives, right? Like, yeah, this is not a book that shies away from the hard work of activism or right. the like complicated work of politics. Right. And but at the same time, you're not bored by it because it's constantly driving the romance, which is all you really want it to do. Yeah. You know, someone else who does that really well is Tracy Livesey, who we are planning to have on and who we've talked about before and who we will be talking about again very soon. But like her love will always remember book is really another great example of like a heroine who like has to face the work of her job. Yes. And deal with it.
1: Yeah. And I say that's to me is when the job conflict becomes interesting. Not it's, it's like when is the job conflict force you to really grapple with who you are as a person and or who you're, in a relationship with. And that I think is when it becomes really
0: interesting. Well, and it goes back to this conversation that you were having with your friend and that I had with, you know, that woman at the cocktail party one time, which is like when we talk about 2019 and this sort of cultural identity around work, um, it is really difficult to imagine setting a job like The work of a job in a romance novel is the work of of growth, like of of identity in some way. Right. Like there is the I mean, when I wrote Brazen and the Beast, I've written a lot of heroines who have jobs. um, But Brazen and the Beast is probably the one where like her job is most important. But like her work over the course of the whole book is to realize that like she cannot do this alone. Right, like, which is frankly the work of any romance for a romance character. Like, no romance character can go it alone. The work of the romance is to teach them that from the beginning of the book to the end of the book, partnership is is necessary to make them a better person. Yeah, and maybe like oh, I sort of hate how capitalistic it feels, but like maybe we're saying like jobs are so much a part of our DNA that like we have to get I better at our jobs through romance too. I think that's the case. Jack. I mean, I think it, I know, but you know, we Kate are. Kate Claiborne is writing a strongly worded letter <laughs> at this point. <laughs> you know, Kate writes a lot
1: about characters and their jobs though. I, mean, I that she's gonna be fine with what you just said i think <laughs> i think that i but i mean that's like the conflict right like are we i, I don't think any of us want to be our jobs but no. i think our jobs are so important to who we
0: are as people and that push but like look what you really did interesting. you're yeah. a lunatic you took the one thing that gave you real like calming <laughs> joy and turned it into a job i know you know, like, and this, uh, me too, man. Like, you do. I think right? all the time about this, like, podcast, and I'm like, well, maybe we should think about advertising. Like, and it's like, then it becomes a job. I like, know. It's not like a labor of love. I know. I know. Um, and that's, I
1: think that's really complicated. I think that that's part of why. Like that, my, th- my thread is really about that tension, right? Like, when are we allowed to do the stuff we just love because we love it? And then why in America does it feel like then the push is to monetize
0: it? Right? Yeah. And, and also, <laughs> like, I think it's really important for us to have a conversation about women, heroines and women and jobs specifically, because I think we need to have a talk about why we feel like a heroine with a job is somehow more valuable than a heroine without a job. Oh, one. Yeah? And, um, and maybe we don't, but I think often we do. Yeah. Right. Um, And and I think we need to have a very real conversation about how money is yeah. tied up in this right the 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 kind of the downside of romance focusing on richness or what not richness richness isn 't the word you guys the word is wealth, yeah <laughs> and... you can 't even say it you know what though <laughs> it 's not just romance
1: right it 's everything, and I really struggle with this like I remember. When my son was little, and I remember just being outraged that there was, like, everybody on TV was rich. No matter what it was, they said they were strong. I mean, I remember like, I don't know, High School Musical 2 or whatever. There was like this whole subplot about how he like, oh, I really need this. Like, you know, I'm never gonna be able to go to college if I don't get this scholarship. And then they like pan across his house. And I was like, you live in a mansion. Like, what are you talking about? And, you know, the fact that, you know, Roseanne was, remember that TV show was really revolutionary for showing like truly like Mm -hmm. middle class or lower class people on TV and it just i feel like it doesn't i never see that and it in class in in popular culture often is the thing that really really like sets me off right like i like there was a movie i think it was called this is 40. Where, you know, like, oh, I was like, I'm going to lose my job. And I was like, they're going on vacations and living in this million-dollar house in Los Angeles and driving Beamers. And I was like, this is not what it's like to worry about money. And it was so – and and that, I think, is really, like, a, a, a struggle for me with romances. And I get why. Like, the fantasy of not having to worry about money is very powerful to me.
0: Of course it is. I mean, I wish – for all of us, for every – for everyone and there and that fantasy is a place where romance it makes the romance much easier right it makes happily ever after more believable everybody always says like well money doesn't buy happiness but like the truth is it sure helps like and and what it buys is a lack of financial worry like a lack of worry that like if your kid gets sick you'll Be able to pay
1: the bills. You know, another book that's going to be coming out right around the time that we release this is a book I really liked in a lot of ways called The Bromance Book Club. By Lissa K. Adams. Mm-hmm. And in this book, a stay-at-home mom of young twins. I think they are probably under a year old. Um, essentially, at the beginning of the book, she kicks her husband out of the house. There, I like this book a lot. And he is a pro baseball player. And one of the things, and we are reading this for my 57th Street Book Club in, I think, November, December, must be December. And I sort of was, like, pitching this. And as soon as I said that, you know, she kicked him out of the house, um, Hannah, who's one of the women in my book club, was like, oh. And I was like, I know because when women are heading down the road towards divorce, the biggest problem they face is financial insecurity. And this this book does not deal with it at all. Like, there's a part where she's like, I think I'm going to go back to Vanderbilt and go back to school. And I wanted to be like, in real life, you, the stay at home mom married to a professional baseball player who's made all the money, the fact that he never holds the money against her, I was like, okay, that is nice, but like, it was, I was like, that's not real. In real life, a man who has all of the financial power leaving, it's putting her in the most dangerous, precarious spot that there is. And it was yeah. just and that was like one of those things where I was like, this to me is the biggest fantasy there is, is that she never once in that book thinks, who's paying the fucking mortgage now that I kicked him out of the house?
0: Who's paying for me to go back to Vanderbilt? Yeah. Uh, it's hard, right? Because divorce. <laughs> I mean, yeah. look, I write historicals historicals are all about money and yeah. they're, it's all about like who has money. Like, I mean, I don't know. Half of the tropes in historicals are about money. Yeah. About, you know, the poor title, the title being, you know, needing to marry rich or the girl whose house is, whose family, you know, is mm-hmm. on the brink and needs to save her governess of a sister or like mm-hmm. save her sister from prostitution. Yep. Um, and I think That's just because, look, it's, you know, there was another thread that was on Twitter recently and it really rang true to me about um, mothers telling their daughters to save their money in a private account when they get married. Like to make sure that they have a go bag, essentially, a financial go bag. Yeah. Um, And like it's a. Really horrifying thing to think about. If you imagine it, if you really sort of think carefully about why so many generations of women have said, like, you need, um, I think it was, I think it may have been an Indian woman who started it, who was talking about, um, why they gave jewelry, like, she received jewelry for a wedding oh, wow. gift. And it was like, no wedding, like, jewelry is,
2: it's, it's yours. Y- you
0: can sell it yeah. if you need it. Um, and that that's what like it's the fact that women and so many women were in this thread saying like, oh, my mother. My, I mean, I, here I am, right? My mother at my wedding was like, yeah. uh, make sure that you don't only have, you know, one joint account. And I was like, hey, mom, thanks for the congratulations. But like yeah. also uh, but yeah. that's a real thing. Um
2: yeah, something is. that
0: her mother told her and presumably her mother's mother told her. And, absolutely. I mean, it's a lot. But like finance, like writing, I think all the time about Eloisa James, like saying over and over in interviews, you know, I don't want to. I grew up poor. I don't want to write about yeah, poor people. I want to write about rich people who don't have to worry about right. that.
1: Because that's like the biggest dream of all in some ways. I think that there are some really interesting ways in which romance is dealing with it and not in, and I want to talk about historical that is is about a working woman, but not really about that which is a book i really liked called what ails the earl by sally mckenzie mm. and it also the second one in this series just came out and it's called the mary visc viking what's the what's that the word? Viscount. <laughs> yeah right sure uh-huh. <laughs> and this is part of a series where these and i think i'm sure there will be a third because there's a third woman um these three women together uh, essentially, like, live at, like, a widow, a home for widows and children, all- although it's only girls. If you have a boy, it's presumed that you're going to be able to find someone to marry you because they want that that male heir. right? And it's really interesting. And what these three do is they are brewing beer, and they sell their beer. It's called the Widow's Brew. <laughs> and they are working together to sort of, like, make – it's so that they do not have to rely, the, the home itself will not have to rely on essentially like charity to stay alive. Because if they can make a go of having a, a widow's brew, right, be successful enough and selling it in enough local places, then they can essentially like take care of themselves and the interesting and i really think this series is yeah i like that fantastic and so in the first one which is um called what ails the earl um the it's like a second chance at love story the main character's name is caro and she um and i'm gonna look up the of course you know i don't remember anybody's name um she Oh, no. The, the main character. Sorry. The main character's name is Penelope. And and she, Pen, essentially had an affair when she was like seven. She was 17. He was 18 with like the boy next door. And it's great. She never regretted it. She just loved being with him. She like was like, I'm young and beautiful and my body wants to do it. Let's do it. And she he goes off to a war before finding out that she's pregnant. And so she really has no choice but to leave her home. And right. then, however many years later, he comes along and figures out that like, oh my god, it's Penn and oh my god, that's my daughter, and sort of it's mm-hmm. this chance, you know, this them, you know, kind of falling in love and and kind of and a big part of it is her saying, like, I'm not leaving these women behind. Right? Like I am not leaving behind my job. I like what I do. I'm good at it. Yeah. This is a big part of who I am. And then it's in the second book is about Carolyn. And she essentially has gone to London to try and sell the widow's brew, only to discover um, this is the Mary Vicant? How do you say this word, Sarah? Viscount. Yes, the Mary Viscount. I have been a romance reader for a long time, you know. Um she goes to try and sell the beer right to a local brew, uh, pub in London and this turns out this guy was like I just thought you wanted to fuck me <laughs> right <laughs> I mean you know he like and she's like no I'm a businesswoman and and it's great it's a great series it really is
0: I love heroines who work and yeah. what I mean by that is like I like heroines who make stuff or like run stuff or like i think we see there are in historicals at least there are you know we see a lot of journalists we see a lot of uh courtesans we see a lot i mean i do love a courtesan but um we see a lot of courtesans we see a lot of journalists we see a lot of writers um but we don't often see women who do stuff yeah right right um and i think that That's always valuable. And one thing I want to point to, I just want to sort of do a shout out in general to Westerns Mm, because often we see women with jobs in Westerns specifically. I'm thinking about, um, Beverly Jenkins. Beverly Jenkins. Yeah, her heroines always have jobs. They're teachers. They're nurses. They're underground railroad conductors. Like they're they're all sorts of remarkable people who are doing remarkable things. I think part of Bev's work as a writer, and like I feel like Bev's core story, in many ways, is like to tell the stories of the women who worked. Yeah, Um, I agree. And so I think like I I mean I I can't think of a of a Jenkins book that has doesn't a have character that, yeah. who doesn't a, a heroine who doesn't work yeah. but even in those earlier like I think about and I, I can't remember that I don't know which one it is but there's like an early Devereaux that's set in the American West where the heroine like comes over from England as a mail order bride mm. and um, lands herself in this like gold rush town and she has no discernible skills and the hero's like you have no discernible skills <laughs> and she's like fuck you I'm gonna be Become a modiste, and she yeah. like opens this like super duper like high end dress shop, and people come from all over to like buy dresses from her. And I think like those kinds of things, like this kind of sense, I love like that book is a book that um, I think about a lot because I think about the fact that. Um, in historicals especially historicals written in the 80s like that was a really powerful moment for a heroine like to say like you know what i am a fish out of water here and you're right i don't have discernible i cannot cook you whatever goes in that disgusting pot <laughs> but yeah i can do this i other can make thing. every woman in this town beautiful yeah and that also has value and i also think
1: It's interesting to me, the um, other series, we've talked about Joanna Shoup all the time, but her series, the 400 series, and even this new one, which is, like, the Uptown Girls series, have women who are determined to work. I mean, so, like, there's the one about the architect, which I think is called A Daring Arrangement. Um, The one that comes out in December, which is called The Prince of Broadway, has a heroine who wants to open her own casino Mm -hmm. for women, like, her own gambling hall. Yay, casinos! I super, super loved that one. And loved that she was like, yeah, like, I got to figure out how to do this because this is what I want to do. It's like what, you know, I've always been great at games of chance and I want to do this thing. And I feel like that, it's breaking open... You know, those are like the stories that really speak to me. I don't give a shit about how gambling works, but I do give a shit about this woman who's like, this is what I want to do. And women deserve these places and Mm -hmm. women deserve this space. And I want to read those books. Yeah. I
0: love that. (laughs) We have recommended a lot of books today. We have. And yet I don't even think I got to all the ones that were kind of mentally on my list. No. And now I'm sort of thinking and I'm like, oh, God, I can think of so many, you know, like and I do think like there's somewhere at some point we need to talk about like women in traditionally women's jobs. Right. Like the governess and nurses. You know, we didn't really tackle. I asked that question. But like, you know, why do we value women with like capital j jobs like business people and like sure. you know i don't know people yeah like women who are like in a job that a hero could easily also be in that's one band and then there's the women in women's jobs like women as teachers women as nurses women as governesses right yeah like all the thing dental hygienists Right. Like women as veterinarians, like, you know, the things that we think of as being like girl jobs. And right. then we, and then there's like women who don't work, mm-hmm. don't work. I'm saying like with massive air quotes, because of course they work. Sure. Of course. So, you know, you have, I think there's, there's that question. And then, um, and, we see those women, the women in the second band in very specific kinds of books. Yeah. Like cowboy books. Yeah. And small town contemporaries. Yeah. So I just think there's an interesting question there, and part of that is look, uh, public the American public school teacher is the largest block of workers, workers? in America. Oh yeah, like and they are what eighty something percent women. So white it's women, not exactly the hardest thing in the world to imagine that your romance heroine would be a teacher. So I'm not necessarily like saying that with any pejorative sense. I just want that to be said out loud. But also like nurse, doctor. Yeah, I right. think about oh, uh, I actually Radcliffe. Um, her one of her books from last year is named Passionate Rivals. Um, mm-hmm. and Radcliffe is a surgeon and t- the two heroines in this book are both surgeons, They're rival surgeons who like had uh, an affair a long time ago and then stopped having an affair and now they're working at the same hospital again and they're going to have an affair again. And so, yeah. <laughs> um, it's, uh, it is, it is what you imagine it to be, um, from the title Passionate Rivals. Um, but, and this is an example of a book where like the doctoring is so much a part of it. Yeah that it almost overshadows like the rest of the book um, because you're so like embedded in the life of a surgeon but at the same time like as I was reading I was thinking to myself like oh but like I guess this is what it's like to be an emergency surgeon like of course they're always at the hospital of course they're always talking about work
1: yeah The journalism one is really interesting because I just finished reading the Ronan Farrow book about Harvey Weinstein called Catch and Kill. Mm -hmm. And embedded throughout the book is sort of these like little vignettes about how hard it was on his relationship with Jonathan, who I guess is on Pod Save America, that guy. Mm -hmm. And and just about how like and it really was like you know journalism often in romance is sort of um you know it's a job you put down at the end of the day but when you read this book no <laughs> there is no putting it down no way and i thought it was really you know that's the other thing is sometimes some jobs are so consuming yeah that you really think like this is could hurt your relationship to be in this job and so therefore if you really put it on the page in a romance that way that's a kind of conflict that i think is like really hard to um to do well because we know that if they if that person stays in that job that's going to be a part of their life i think it happens a lot with romances where one of the characters is a police officer Mm. right um military military a, a really interesting romance i read for um the ritas was about two men who are Um, like literally starting Navy SEALs training the next day and they fall in love with each other. You made me read that. It was good. Yeah, it was good. But I also think it did a really, and I'm sorry, I'm not remembering the name of it. The woman, the author's name was Melanie Hansen. maybe. Wait, let me look at this because I'm going to. I should name it. It's terrible that I'm not saying it. Um, it was in, I think, Contemporary. It was called "Oh, Loving a Warrior by Melanie Hansen, And I thought it was fascinating because it really goes to show you just how, in- if you are in an intense job, like being a Navy SEAL, right, especially if the other person you're with is also in that job, just what kind of difficulties these two men face um really from like just being the 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 requirements of their job meant that there was less time for them to be together sure. as lovers right exactly. and i and i think that was a book that actually really did a great job of that
0: yeah i mean i think that this is why rivals i mean we're coming back around but why things like rivals to lovers work so well yeah because i'm thinking as you were talking about journalists and um and i i thought about Tamara Lush's I don't know if it's Tamara Tamara but uh Tamara Lush's constant craving which is mm-hmm. an erotica um and the heroine's family has owned a local newspaper like a small town newspaper for ever yeah she's a reporter yeah Tamara is a real reporter in the world um And look, a real thing that is happening right now in small town journalism, in, in local journalism is that there isn't enough money to keep these papers afloat. Like, and, we need to have this is me I'm going to climb on my soapbox and then get right back down but like we absolutely need to have a conversation as a country in terms of like how what happens when we lose local journalism please subscribe subscribe to your local newspaper right now honest to God you guys your local newspaper costs virtually nothing to subscribe to and it is like those local newspapers are where democracy Mm -hmm. lives and dies because they're keeping local politicians in check and it's not like the Washington post is going to drive out to like bum fuck Maryland to make sure that like the city council isn't screwing over the kids in that public school district. Sure. Like, so, uh, it matters. uh, Subscribe to your local paper. Um, (laughs) now I'm going to get down on my thing. And so she, (laughs) she is stuck. Right. And her, um, and so she turns to an incredible, like a private equity group.
2: Mm. and she
0: basically like asks like throws herself uh at their at their mercy and it turns out it's owned by her ex-boyfriend Rafael Ooh. who is very dreamy um and he turns up billionaire kind of angry and he's like fine i'll save it but you know there's no money in local journalism um and i'll save it if you give me 30 days with you so she mm. like sells herself for her yeah paper and there's a really interesting like question of it like to as a journalist Tam, first of all it all feels very authentic and then yeah. on top of it it's like this question of like integrity and like what is she really doing and like what does it mean i think we're just coming back to this idea that one it's about rivals like the the job has to be on the page like for a reason you can't just be there to paint to like color and to shade a character i mean like yes that's important and obviously like i want to know that i want to know what your character does and i want her to feel great about it um but like for a job to really really be meaningful in a romance novel and not make you feel like you're just reading about fossils yeah it has to be moving the story forward right Which, like frankly now that i said everything that, why be. do we even do this podcast <laughs> <laughs> well you know what <sighs> i still think it was worth doing I do, too. And TBR piles across America and the just world just got bigger, just got yeah. way bigger. And Kuala Lumpur. Did you? We'll put it at the end of this <gasps> one. But we got oh. a call in, you guys, from somebody from Kuala Lumpur. So I love that one. It's so yay, good. Yay, international callers. We love you. So that said, um, did you know you could call us and tell us about your, the book that blooded you this season? Um, you can do that. The number, which is a U.S. number, is 646 450 four50 three Seven six six. We are not sharing that publicly. You have to listen to the podcast to get it. That's right. Um, what other things do we want to say uh, next week? Oh God, what's next week? Priest? Oh yeah. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> Woo. Talk about a job. <laughs> Talk about a job. I mean, it sure does move the move the story forward. See, there you go, Sarah. Um, yeah, if you—it
1: certainly, certainly—if you put the title of your book as one of the
0: character's jobs, it better move the story forward. Exactly, exactly. So next week is Priest by Sierra Simone. Content warning: uh, sex in church <laughs> and all the all the ways that can happen. Um, and so, be careful if you're somebody who is, you know, a blasphemy person. It's not the book for you. Um, you uh, can
1: buy uh, faded mates buttons and other like funny romance buttons on my website from my best friend Kelly. Uh, there's uh, some really good ones. The one that's like Derek Craven would
0: steal your fucking spectacles. Yeah, kind of amazing. She sent me one. She sent me two. She sent me Derek Craven would never, <laughs> and Derek Craven would steal your fucking spectacles. He would. So I'm very excited. He, he totally would. I mean, if only Derek Craven would steal my spectacles um what a, uh subscribe to us on yep. your favorite podcasting platform it's free and it makes us look better <laughs> and, um and then uh, leave us a review if you like us in your ear holes we always like that um uh fate mates is produced by Eric Mortensen and i think that's, that's a, it have fun at your jobs this week everybody yeah you guys i hope you have a good work week We work, we all work way too much. Yeah, we do. We all, we should live somewhere better.
1: Yeah, we should.
0: All right. In a romance novel. (gasps) Yeah. I mean, (laughs) I kind of wish my business was going under and I could, you know, throw myself at the feet of some hot billionaire. Sure. Gray enterprise, hot billionaire enterprise holding company. (laughs) I think that's what it's actually called. <laughs> Although, if it's uh,
1: sadly, I mean, really, then you'd be really complicit in the state of our modern world. So, maybe it's better that we're not. We're <laughs> over time. So <laughs> Time to end, everybody. Bye,
2: guys! Hey, Sarah and Jen. This is Samantha. I'm calling from Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. So, the book that blew at me was probably Nora Roberts' was of course, i not Roberts, Spellbound. And it's about a photographer who arrives in Ireland, and he meets a witch who tells him that she's basically magic, and he just doesn't believe her. And I just remember this being like, I mean, my, my family has had romance novels kind of scattered around the house for literally my whole life. I've read kind of some of them on and off, but I don't remember any, the, this is the very first book where well, I remember going to like waking out of this fugue steak at like 4 a.m. and just being like, "What the hell did I just read?" You know? Like this was the first time I felt like romance was meeting me in the middle of like the fantasy genre I've always loved, um, and was speaking to this like deep well of emotion. And I was just like, I, I was like sobbing. I remember going to school the next day and friends being like, "Why are your eyes so red?" And just you know, remembering this like hole inside of me that was somehow still so full, and Nora has done this for me. I mean, over and over again over the years. But I just remember Spellbound because it was just like, how can something that people kept calling trashy be so lyrical and so like authentic and genuine? And it just was like, ah. Um anyway, um, you can find me at, on Instagram at Sam underscore Che, D-H-E-H, And thank you guys so much. I really love the podcast. And I love your book, Sarah. And I love your articles, Jen. And thanks, guys. Bye.